Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, uh, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Welcome back. This is A Few Points from Perfect Podcast. We are on episode 10. We have the one and only Aaron Boo, man behind the scenes back. We tried to run him off after the last podcast, but he wouldn't leave. Yeah. No. Something about holding beef jerky here, Kevin Brown. <laughs> yeah. And uh, this time we're going to get into a little bit more of his professional career, a little bit. Yeah, so a lot of people noticed on my channel we covered this some in the last podcast, but uh, you're here and then you're not, and you're here yeah. and then you're not. And uh, so your real job, your full-time job, you are a union bowl maker. Union bowl maker. So Local let's start person. off by how in the world does one choose to become a union bowl maker? Oh, all right. Well, I'll go back. When I got in, I did, honestly, I didn't know what a bowl maker was. I want, well, I want, just, to, I want to back up a little bit farther because he's going to skip this part. Um, how old were you when you got into the union bowl making life? How old? Yep. My very first job, I was uh, 17 yet. So shouldn't most normal people still be in school at 17? Mm, they should be. <laughs> normal people. But I never said I was normal. So you got a, you got <laughs> yeah, a jump start I, yes. on your bull making career. How can we mm-hmm. put this? Because you uh, got asked or were required to leave the school. <laughs> yes. In, in a way to where I... Uh, you weren't allowed to come back. I wasn't coming back that year. I wasn't allowed to come back. Oh. Yeah. You just yeah, did so, too good, right? So, exactly. Yeah. Um, he, yeah. He did so, a really good job of redecorating the principal's office. Yes. No Assistant principal. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, I did. And... Um, Free of charge. Yeah, I didn't charge anything. And um, they charged you with a few yeah, you and somehow, do a job... You, you know, decided you, interior like, decorating was not your calling? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he also failed home act. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's Do why tell. I had to get married because I ain't a very good cook. I can grill, but yeah. um, actually she's taking over for me on the grill too, so I, I really enjoy it. But So yeah. the point of that is, is you, uh, you're uh, what, you're, you say you're a couple of years younger than me, right? Yeah. No, 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 hold on. Go back. What did you do to the principal's office? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if you wanted to tell the story or not. Well, it was... Long story short, it got down to where um, he was wanting to paddle me. And, um, uh, he was littler than me, and which I'm did, a little guy. Which is saying a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you, you just didn't want to be paddled. No, I wasn't day. getting paddled that day. Yeah. No, I was not. So he took the so, paddle and redecorated. Yeah. <laughs> so that was uh, that was the end of my be my junior going into senior year, and I wasn't I was pretty well done for the year. Yeah. And uh, and I mean. Um, I knew I, I was I was going to be a worker. I was going to use my hands. They were going to get. You're going to be a tradesman. You're I was going to be a tradesman. Yeah, I wasn't. Gonna, Which there's nothing wrong with. No, there isn't. Well, we're all tradesmen here. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and after that happened, I did. I, I went out. I went ahead, got my GED, and uh, which is important to mention. You did. Yes. Your, college, your yes. high school diploma. And then uh, through Boilermakers, we ended up going through so you could get your uh, now, associates. The, the reason you. Went down the bullet making route, if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, because we all know you'll do that. 
You applied for the operators, operators the laborers, iron and... workers, operators union, uh, iron workers, operators, and boilermakers. I applied for all all three, which you know I've been third generation through family to be an operator. Right. And, and I think I'd have made a damn good operator too, but we'll probably go there. Of, probably one of, if not the best. Exactly. His family was, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yes, I was. I was really wanting to get into operators. That that was kind of whenever I was young. That was that was my plan. But um, you end up in the bullet makers ended simply up the because they were the first ones to call back. Mm-hmm. I got a call back to get indentured into the apprenticeship, and. So 2001 was whenever I started boilermaking, and the spring of 2002 is whenever I got indentured into the boilermaker apprenticeship program. Uh, I believe it was uh, end of March, no, it was beginning of April. Beginning of April is whenever I went into the apprenticeship for the boilermakers. And so you got, you pretty much, I mean, you got an early start as yeah, far as your life start. goes and, and all that, because yeah. you were basically in and working full time. Uh, whenever most people were finishing their senior years. Yeah, my, my senior year, which this was 2002, um, which I thought was a really good year in 2002, but, you know, I made $87,000 my s- senior year. I made when, most year when most of your friends are still in high school playing sports and working at the concession stand. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I did, uh, I did do that and then did the associates, got that taken care of. But, yeah, I was not a high school graduate. Um Graduated from Perry Central with the GED. Gotcha. Uh, so Perry Central does the GED. So. Right. Um, so what? I mean, obviously the name Bullmaker is probably self-explanatory, but you guys do a lot more. What, like, what is the official job description or title of a Bullmaker? Oh come on! He gets a pot of water and he makes it boil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So as a Bullmaker, uh, no, we're not at the plants. That we're not there. You know, doing operation stuff, making it run or anything, but. Uh, trying to, I mean, a, a boiler maker goes in, and, and we pretty well. You got a boiler. You got a, you got what they consider water walls, and from the water walls in to the firebox, the superheats, reheats, economizer. And we'll get to that here in a little bit. But I mean, you guys do a lot of other things there that work other, with boilers as well. Yeah, yeah, we um, we do tanks, we do vessels, uh, we do we we actually do some iron work. Um, do refineries, steel mills. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys also build ships, don't ship, you? Yeah, it is. It's blacksmith, forge builders. It's we do ship work. We got a um, like here in Indiana, mm-hmm. southern India or northern Indiana. We have a shipyard up there that we work at. Right out in Philadelphia, there's a huge shipyard, and I know that it's Boilermakers Union. Yep. Yeah. So uh, there, and uh, believe it or not, like out. Like Arizona, it'd be like an Arizona, Hawaii, they're all in a one local together. There's like four different states, but they've got a big shipyard out there, which mm-hmm. is, I don't know where exactly at, but they're always calling for manpower out there. So, yeah, we do ship work, I mean, furnace work, uh, uh, ethanols, ethanol plants, uh, granaries, work, work on granaries, uh, on bins and stuff like that, hoppers. So, so I don't want to get into the debate of union, non-union. I see both sides of it. I see benefits both ways. But um, one, would you say one of the bigger benefits to being in a union is some of the training you receive? Training's, training's a big part of it. 
uh, I mean, it's mandatory on a for a boilermaker or a union trade. I know as far as boilermakers go, I can't talk for other trades, but you know, it used to be a ten-hour OSHA with some, with some trades. That's all you got to have is a ten-hour. But boilermakers went above and beyond. You have to have a uh, a OSHA thirty or better, so you can have OSHA thirty or OSHA five hundred. OSHA five hundred puts you in safety man. You know, you got to have those five hundred to be a safety man on the job. But they want you to have that thirty or better, which then you got to do the refreshers. Uh, you got the ARCS training, which is another safety course. Uh, go through most, which is, uh, that's who we do. Like our, you gotta take an annual drug test and periodically through the year, you gotta take randoms. So, I mean, you're, you're always having to do that. Um, the apprenticeship class versus union, non-union is a lot of non-union companies. And I have, I have a lot of buddies that, that do boilmaker work that are non-union. Well, one, one thing that they don't like now that they finally got up farther is there is no training. I mean, they grab a guy that has worked at, say, uh, at a gas station or McDonald's or even a tire shop or something like that, and they put them straight out in the field with no training, no knowledge of what goes on. And in our line of work, it is dangerous. You're working in, I mean, you're working in heights. You're, you know, confined three, spaces. Confined spaces. Mm -hmm. You're, I mean... Everything you deal with is just—it's—it's uh, it's like sitting in this shop and putting it on steroids. I right. mean, everything's so big, it's so heavy, and they send people in to do these jobs, and they don't know. And that's why the the ratio of—I I can't really say the ratio is higher for non-union, but you got more people that are unqualified getting hurt than qualified people. Yes, you will have people that are qualified get hurt, but. Your, your ratio from qualified to unqualified, your unqualified workers are getting hurt a little bit more. Right. So so one of the other, and we, we've talked about this a little bit, like you said, every union set up a little bit different, but one of the other benefits, and it can also be a drawback, is technically they're out soliciting work for you. They're trying to find work. They're trying to find things yeah. to keep you busy. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> we ourselves as makers, we can't solicit our own work. We, we so you're 100% dependent on the union, the the union, union contractor to yes. find that work for you. Yes. Now, the past three, four years, I've been with one contractor, and, and I've stayed with them. They treat me great, so I just stay with them. Mm -hmm. But the hall, the reason on, on the union side, they're supposed to be out there finding the work. They're supposed to find new places to work at. They're, they're the ones getting you work, and then they call you. You don't call them. They call you. Right. Um, as far as boilermakers go, it's still like that. Other crafts that you can go out and say, um, say you've got a job going at the high school um, here in town and you need guys and you know a good guy, you can call him up and say, hey, you want to you wanna come down here help us at the high school? We're rebuilding the gymnasium. And they can pretty well go straight to work. They don't have to go through the hall. They can go to work straight. You know, one, one thing I can elaborate on this topic a little bit, and me and you have some similar experiences in this same thing, is, is back to our previous conversation. You know, we do some of these large stadium jobs, and uh, I've done several more than what you have. We've worked all the way across the United States from New York to California, worked in a lot of the major cities, and I'd say about 50% of the jobs we've done were union, and about 50% of the jobs we've done were non union, right to work states for whatever reason. We have worked with some god-awful unions. I mean, these people mm -hmm. were pathetic. Mm -hmm. 
we have worked with some unions that were absolutely amazing. I mean, they're, if that's the way they all operated, that's the way to go. Um, um, they, I mean, they just, they had it together. They had, they sent good guys out. It was, sewing machines move. Uh, right to work states, um, we've had some that were really good and we've had some that are absolutely horrible. Um, it's there, there, there's pros and cons to everything. I mean, usually if you're mm -hmm. on a, if it's a union job, you're paying a lot higher wages, but you do get a better qualified person. Unfortunately, not all that wage gets to that person. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Non-union is usually not as high a wage, but that person actually ends up seeing more of that wage. It don't get shuffled as many different places. Um, but it's a little bit more of a crapshoot of what type of employee you're going to have show up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm personally, I don't have nothing against unions, but I'm not a big union guy just because I, 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 I don't get, I do. Your jobs aren't big enough. Well, my jobs aren't big enough and I get you so, can't afford and I, I do such a wide variety of stuff yeah. that I need, you know, I, yeah. I can't do so. So it's not, they have their place 100%, but it's not a one shoe fits all type deal. And if you experienced this in city X, Mm -hmm. Don't assume you're going to experience that in city Y because, right. and, and that's also probably different between each trade within the within oh, the halls yeah. from laborers to operators to millerites to bullet makers. They all have their own little nuances and, and work good and do their thing. Yeah. Um, and I can speak from quite a bit of experience because I got kicked out of St. Louis. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Aaron and I are both union, and Correct. our yeah. unions operate. Completely, completely different, different. Yes. yes and uh if i was in a union like aaron was in a union I, or and if i was in a union like aaron's union i should say i would have a completely different feel for it i'm not a union person based on my experiences which are going on 10 years of working in right. one and uh my biggest reason is that they push up these loads on a pedestal and then the guys who are actually doing the job supporting the company keeping it running keeping us employed you know, we get treated and tossed aside like dirt. Yeah, and it, it's just a, a favoritism. A lot game. of a lot of politics. Yes, yes, politics. it is. Yeah, and, and that's one thing I I do not. But I mean, you have this. I I just do not get into the politics. Yeah, I don't. You know, and I will say anyway. that even with my opinion, I wouldn't do away with the union because I know that my company that I work for hates them, and they hate them for a good reason, and that reason benefits me. Yeah, you know they keep me employed. Yeah, they, they lobby on your behalf. Yes. Yeah. And so that being said, I'm not against them. I'm We're gonna have a whole other conversation on unions and governments, and there's just yeah. there's so yeah they're so complicated. There's so much more there, but going on. Yeah, I, I do want to touch up on that subject. Um, you were talking about like St. Louis and and these places. A, a lot of times, you know, you you look at. It's a lot to do with, uh, okay, when uh, the hall calls me and says, hey, I got a job for a uh, small blow company here. Uh, you want to take it? Well, a lot of times if you don't know that company and you're a good hand, you're like, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and pass that because you have the right to accept the job or turn it down. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times if you don't know the company, like I'm just going to say, like say, uh, say we're in Alabama, we're Indiana company, we're going down to Alabama. Your better hands, and that's that's what kind of sucks about it, because your better hands, they're not gonna they're not gonna jump on board and say, hey, let, let's go, let's go, let's try right. this, because they don't know the company, they don't know how they're gonna get treated, they mm -hmm. don't know if they're gonna try to take all the breaks away from them, they don't know if they're gonna have tools or, you know, stuff like that, 
which that kind of hurts a, a smaller company coming into an area for unions because usually you don't get the better hands. It's pretty well they're trying to man it with whatever they got. Right. And another thing is when work goes on, like uh, say like Georgia, they're building the new stadium and then they were they were tearing down the old stadium. Well, all your most of your hands are going to go straight to that new work. New work's always better than yeah. dirty work. Well, and to um, agree with what Aaron's saying, you know, on these stadium projects, if it was a non-union job we're going to go do, and, and on these stadium jobs, I guess I should probably say, we would have anywhere from 30 people to work in forest. On some jobs, we had as many 300 people working for yeah. us. So mm-hmm. uh, these were, some of these were very, very, very large, very high-profile jobs we're managing. And <clears throat> so... To Aaron's point, we're going into, I'm just going to say city Y, and we know it's going to be a union job. We will go there and make several trips and start building a relationship with the, with the BA and the, yeah. and the officers at the hall and, mm-hmm. and try to, you know, hey, give, here's all of our references and start playing the politic game to get good yeah. guys to come over. And, it, yeah. and it's a follow the leader guy. You get one or two good guys to commit. They're like, well, if Aaron's going over there, it must be worth going over there. So John will come and Bob will come and yeah. you know, on down the line. If it's a non-union job we're going into, uh, we just call the workforce development, whoever the labor guy is down there. Yeah. I mean, it's something to be said about getting 300 people who are non-union to actually come right. to a job, show mm-hmm. up on time, and do the job. Well, in some states, you're better off to have 300 non-union guys show up, and in other states, 300 yeah. union guys will show up. It, it's, it's, it's crazy how much it changes from region to region. That's one right. of the things yeah. that I've been kind of surprised with a little bit. Um, I feel like I have enough experience working union, mostly on these uh, stadium jobs, and then we got a joint uh, mutual friend that has a very large dirt contractor that's union. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know I understand how it works, and I see the benefits of it. I also see the cons of it. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, you do. You got good and bad both oh, sides. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, yeah. I mean, anybody that sits out there, whether you're union or non-union, can agree yeah. to that. You got good and you got bad. And I guess a little bit of background on my take on it is we're not a hall. Yeah, you know we're hired into a company and represented by a union. Yeah, um, and our seniority is dictated by the union, which di- dictates our overtime and our bumping rights. And um, that can get frustrating because you get guys that do nothing sitting in a spot, and they're protected to sit there. Yeah, and there's nothing you can do about it. And yeah. um, at the end of the day, if our company goes under, we don't have a hall to go back to. Yeah. We all lose yeah, our you're jobs. Just, yeah. You're just down the street. Yeah, so to me, yeah. it's just, we're all in this together, but the guys who feel entitled because they were born before me, yeah. you know, they're going to they're gonna run this place in the ground and we're all screwed. Yep. And uh, I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, kind of touching up, like, on that, we, we come out of a hall, and it's, it's going to go both ways here, but... Uh, good example. I wanted to before I forgot about this. This outage I was just on. Mm-hmm. Okay, I was I was running night shift, and uh, all our work it always seems to happen like our outages, our turnarounds, or uh, you know anything we have it usually happens at the same time. So usually, say we're the reason for that is is you're working on powerhouses. Yes, and in the spring and the fall the demands much. Yeah, lower. I need to state that. Yeah, because it is. It is because. You get the spring and the fall where your temperature, you ain't got your air conditioner running, you ain't got your furnace running it as right. much. Yeah. So the demand for power isn't near as high. That's why they all do them at that time. But it seems like they all start the exact same day. And, 
you know, at the hall, which I got to give them credit. They do one heck of a job. I mean, getting guys dispatched and finding help. Because a lot of times we'll go through our 1,200 members in, in a day mm-hmm. and we're needing another 2,000 members. And, you know, you're calling other locals, you're trying to find the manpower and then you get it. And then like, a, a, for instance, some job I was on, I was on night shift. I had four guys that were out of my local. That was it. The rest of them were, were boomers, what we call boomers and people that are outside of our local from, you know, whether it be uh, Alabama, Florida, Texas, but we get well, how guys. Many man, how many man crew did you have? I had a total counting all crafts. I had uh, not a big one, not a big one. I'd say probably 35, 35 total guys on that job. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a real big night shift. That don't sound like a whole lot, but if you got 35 guys spread out, I hate trying to manage five. It is. I yeah. mean, that's, uh, <laughs> you know, 35 guys in one spot on an assembly line is one thing. 35 guys out doing 35 yeah. different tasks. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of management. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It, it becomes a headache. But mm-hmm. like day shift, there was probably five, 600 guys. But they were they were doing a, a lot more work. But uh, I ended up getting... Uh, and you always, you always got in your head, it's just like when we do a stadium, because you, you get these guys in, you don't know what you're getting, you've never yep. met them before. Yeah. And, and I got these guys in, I had these guys from Alabama. I had, I had one from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. I had, uh, or, well, from Pittsburgh, had a you guy from fired Pittsburgh. Him right away. <laughs> and believe it or not, I was, I was kind of shocked. I mean, he, he, did, he did a really good job. I, I can honestly say that, that them boomers I got, uh, you know, the travelers, mm-hmm. uh, they were excellent. Usually the travelers you get are the ones that ain't the best hands because they pretty well get picked out. But the, our, our trade of work is kind of dying down. It ain't as much as it used to be. So right. we're kind of a hot area right now. In Indiana, we're, we're a big area where the work, we still got a lot of coal fires going yet. Right. So these boys came up from Alabama. And, uh, and then we had, like I said, one from Wisconsin, one from Pittsburgh. But... All of them did a heck of a job. I mean, I was I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And I went a little above and beyond the Happy Meal and went ahead and got them strong bowlies. But they uh, <laughs> they did they they did they pepperoni did one heck of a sausage, huh? Pepperoni or sausage? Sausage. It was oh, yeah. sausage. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the difference, bigger. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they did all. They all did a heck of a job. Uh, finished the job up, you know, on time. Well, early and. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they ended up getting a week less than what they got called up for, but they were all happy. So, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that kind of gets back to what's nice about, like, Local 374. I mean, they do a heck of a job. Now, there's some other locals that don't do as good, and you hear people complaining, but yeah. I can't. I ain't got no complaints because they do their job, and they get guys here. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, basically now it's just finding more work to where you can keep the – Man by manpower, your man hours going for your local. Right, and so, to, before you do that, but to just clear something up, you when you're talking about boilers now, you're working inside power plants, coal-fired yes. power plants, electricity plants. Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's where I was getting ready to go with this. So your your bread and butter jobs are the boilers. Yes. And so I'm gonna give a, just a quick overview of this, and we're gonna go back and kind of walk through the system. But for a lot of people that don't know the Majority of the electricity generated in the United States is from a coal fire coal power. plant, and basically they burn coal, they heat water, turn it into steam, steam. turns a turbine, 
which turns a generator, which yep. makes electricity. You mean Correct. to tell me that this is not all from windmills? No, it's not all from windmills. <laughs> Are you sure? So, so that's that's where the term boiler maker comes from, yeah. is because you guys would build and maintenance the boiler, and the and the boiler is a high maintenance item. Yes. So, let's just kind of walk through this a little bit, because I got a lot of questions, and I've asked you a bunch of questions. I don't. I mean, I understand the concept of how it works. You heat water, you right. make steam, you make electricity. Boom, it's all over. But it's much more complicated than that. Yeah. So, I guess, like, my first question is, is, like, obviously a boiler has a service life. Like, you can only burn so much coal in it before you got to do maintenance stuff. So, what, uh, a lot of what you guys do, like, Spring and Fall is what they call a, a, a scheduled shutdown. Yeah. Correct? So, like, what is, uh, like, just your generic average shutdown? Like, does it happen on a unit every two years, every five years, and then whenever it does happen, what do you guys do? Uh, usually, usually, uh, as the... Well, a lot of it has to go with the age of the power plant. Uh, you get in your older power plants. Which most coal-fired power plants have, what, 25, 30 years of age yeah. at least? Yeah, so they're all getting there. Um, most of them is you you can pretty well plan on an outage every year, one outage every year. A lot of places... Scheduled don't, outage. Scheduled outage, yes. Uh, scheduled outage would be um, anywhere from 6 to 12 weeks, usually is what it shuts down and it's usually running six tens to seven twelves to do the outage do whatever we got to do for it it just depends how much work they want to do but so basically uh the plan i'm working at now it's got two units it's got unit unit one unit two let's say so this this one here we're doing an outage on unit two so we'll do this outage in the fall unit two then usually unit the following spring you go back to unit say one mm -hmm. you go to unit one do an outage there then in the fall which would be a year yeah you go back to unit two so it kind of bounces back and forth but your your newer plants um they always i, I would uh, and beyond what we do we work on the boilers but you know uh the turbines i can't say too much about i know they have to be very well balanced um you know your fans and stuff like that which mm -hmm. we do work on the fans but they every year every year you're guaranteed to have some sort of outage whether it be boiler work as far as inside the boiler or outside as far as a fan or a, a turbine that, that it'll come down every year so they can do a, a maintenance outage on it mm -hmm. uh, basically it might be it might just be a two-week outage and, and when they do have them we go in and do sample tubes you know, we'll go in and just cut tubes out so they can check the thickness of the tube, or they can scope to make sure the inside, make sure it ain't getting. So let's kind of just do uh, let's just do an overview of the parts of a boiler. So let's walk through from the very beginning. So the the coal comes into what they was it called like a firebox? Yeah, well, the coal comes in off the conveyor belt, goes through pulverizers, pulverizers pretty well. It's it's uh, turns it into a powder. It turns it into powder, and it's pretty neat because it's got like little cannonballs in there, and they're shooting them cannonballs, which crush up the coal into a pan, uh, punch or crush the coal up into a powder. Okay. So it's like a powder, and it shoots out your burner, and so they inject it with a big fan. Yes, yeah, it's pretty well pressurized in, and then it shoots it in, and then. Once it goes, shoots inside what we call the firebox, mm -hmm. which is where the coal gets shot in, the burners will ignite it, and then it burns that coal dust in there. Right. So this firebox, um, your average coal-fired power plant, how big is this firebox? Well, for a, I'm just going to throw rough numbers out. I ain't, I ain't measured completely, but like, say, a 450 megawatt, you're going to be probably, I want to say, say, let's just say, 
50 foot by 85 foot. So that's like it's, twice the size of my shop is this yeah. firebox. I mean, right. Yeah. And then we're not you talking got, some little bitty old yard shed here. Yeah. You know, we're talking. No. But then you go to like a 1350, which is, is a, like a, there's several 1350 plants. Now you get in there, you can fit a football field. I mean, it's like 300 foot by 340 foot by 150 foot. Right. So, so this whole area you're talking about, we're calling the firebox yes. now. Uh, what's the temperature they're trying to achieve in this? Uh, temperatures, they, I mean, they, they range. Uh, you know, of course, the higher you go, the hotter it's going to get. So the grade of metal, which starts out at like a mild, mild steel, and as you go up, the chromium gets higher, it gets to be a harder metal, mm-hmm. the higher you go because it gets hotter. I want to say, you know, you're pushing, you know, I'd say they push probably about 1,200, 1,200 degrees, roughly. That's because pretty warm. Yeah, yeah, it, it gets it gets warm up towards the top, mm-hmm. and, and that's why your most of our work is up higher yeah. in, in a in a bowl. I'd have to be in shorts. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that's approved from the OSHA conversation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so we're we're blasting coal in down below in this firebox. We're igniting it. We're building heat. So yep. up above, uh, is that where all the tubing and superheats and uh, yeah, I mean. Yeah, like we did a superheat change out, which is stu- your superheat is your steam, but there's still got a little bit of water going through it. So you got your superheat steam, um, and the steam it goes through your superheat, your reheats into economizer. But it, it what it ends up doing is it feeds out into like your steam drum. From steam drum, it kind of that's where it kind of goes to your turbine to give the give the uh, steam to the turbine to actually turn the generator. So, I mean, but, the, the, the process of making steam is pretty simple, is you have this heat yeah. rising from this fire you got down yep. below. It's heating the pipe. The pipe's heating the water. Yep. And then, uh, it basically... the water to steam. Well, the, the water's pressurized, correct? Yeah. And that won't, that'll keep it from that, boiling. So, as yeah. soon as it leaves the boiler and becomes unpressurized, because that's when it actually turns to steam. Yeah. And then the steam, the steam, you're getting pretty high pressure in there, anywhere from... I mean, some of it could be some some places. It's you know you're only pushing like say eight nine hundred pounds of uh, you know steam. Other places it's up to three four thousand. It just depends on where you're at, what plant you're working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, is the most common issues in the boiler the tubing? In the boiler, yes, yeah, and and majority of our work is always on. It's kind of explain it. It's like a bunch of tubes, and all them tubes are just kind of like a sleeve, a water jacket. You know, the actual housing of the boiler. It's all all tubes just tied together. Them are kind of like a water jacket for it. And then you get up to the superheats. That's where you're actually working. You're actually your your superheats. Then it goes, which are closest. So basically, to the it's it's fire firebox tubing yeah. superheats so it, we're stacking a layer up inside this building yes yeah well like here it'd be your superheats are vertical they they hang different ways you can have a horizontal panel you can have vertical panel and the one we just did was a vertical hanging panels so you got your superheats and then you got i think it's you got your inlets and your outlets then you go to your reheats which are your inlets intermediates outlets and then it gets to the back pass which is the economizer so it's a big system of basically what it is is it's uh, just circulating water and whatever water is left you know just gets recirculated in and then the steam pushes out to the turbine 
So basically you're trying to make steam and it's like anything else, it's if anything left over, it just kind of recirculates back into the system. Into so the system. on a typical outage, you're not going in and replacing every tube, every superheat. Um, you're going in, I guess you'd say with this like spot checking them. Why would they lose, I guess they lose thickness from all the heat? They just Yeah, the, the wear and tear. Um, you know, cause that, that uh, the pretty well like say the say the uh, coal that don't burn and the coal that's circulating in there it's like sandblasting in pants. So it's just because there's, there's a tremendous amount of airflow. In yeah yeah oh yeah there's a, a lot I don't know the airflow going in but yeah just the force on the. So you got this fine dust and they're flying around yeah, just it's like sandblasting, sandblasting it out so eventually wears them yeah. down. And, and then you'll get what we call clinkers which are basically where fly ash, burnt coal, it's fly ash, it kind of finds a spot on a tube or a panel and it sticks. Well, over time, it just keeps building up, kind of like a slag type in a cave or something. Okay. And it builds up. Well, that'll put wear on that tube in that area. Really? Yeah. It'll you think it'd be put, protecting it. Well, it? It does. It does in a way, but then it, it'll put wear on it. And a lot of times we don't do it. They have blast companies come in. They want to really get so big, they'll mm-hmm. bring blast companies in and blast all these big clinkers off. So it's pretty neat to go in there and you. I was one of them named clinkers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now some of them clinkers have got to the size of a Volkswagen. I mean, really? they, yeah, they get that big in there. Like a Beetle or a bus? <laughs> well, some of them as big as probably a bus. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that <laughs> they, thing fell off there. It could do some damage. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's why on the safety part of it, before we can even go in a boiler for an outage, we've got to either have blast companies come in or we got to. Uh, water jet company that comes in with the, uh, the big I don't know how many I mean it's just like a pressure washer on steroids it'll it'll do some damage but they if they can reach in it's like a 20 foot gun on it and they'll blast them with water if they can't get them like that then they gotta find a way to get in there and dynamite but we cannot legally or I shouldn't say legally the plant will not let us go in until we get everything knocked down mm-hmm. and we got to do that from what we call OB ports which are observation ports so they're little like four inch circles, you know, where you can see in the boiler and that's where you gotta blast everything off. Where you get everything clear. Yeah. So that would be, so basically a schedule outage, you guys would go mm-hmm. in, cut tubes, check thicknesses, yep. replace what needs to be replaced. Um, there's also a lot of other things as far as like duct work, you guys work yeah. on the duct work a lot. The duct work, you got, oh, you got, a, you got duct work running off your fans, going to your air heaters, which your air heaters, basically turning the heat the heat hot air down it's cooling the hot air to where it can go out so that's what the air heater does but uh, you got your air ducts you got uh, wind boxes which is basically like a wind tunnel I mean that's where your drafts going through that you you we got all the duct work for that um, now in recent years you guys have also ventured into a lot of the emission stuff yes yeah which is uh, what do call it? is it SCR? SCRs which is a catalyst system which it's set up um, an SCR, best way I can explain it, some of them are, are cloth material that look, basically it's like a vacuum filter, uh, but it's a big box. It's like a, say, three foot by six foot and then about four foot tall. Mm-hmm. And it just looks like you look down in them and it looks like just a, a vacuum cleaner uh, like a filter. Almost. Yeah, it's just a big filter. And that's that, to clean the exhaust coming off the burner. Yes, before it goes out the stack. Um, then uh, some styles, it's all metal. The older styles, it was like just layers of metal in them. And it's like static electricity. It catches all your particles before they 
and okay. catches them and they drop instead of going out the stack. Um, then you go on to uh, which the SCRs, what's pretty neat about it is there's like layers. You'll have a first layer, like a first floor, you'll have 30 of them SCR boxes in there. And then you have a second floor, you'll have 30. Then you have a third floor, have 30. Then you have a fourth floor, have 30. Well, when we do an outage, usually every outage, so they'll come in, they'll change the roll out because they get clogged, just like mm -hmm. a filter, and they'll change them out, which then once they come out, they got to be wrapped in plastic, and then they got to be loaded up and shipped off. No, they're basically considered hazardous waste. Hazardous waste thing, mm -hmm. yes. So then we got to wrap them and then we got to ship them off. And then we'll, we'll do like one level each outage. So say we do level one, this outage, and the plant makes a call which one they want to do. They say, well, level three, which your, your first level is always going to get more than any of them. But say level three is getting bad. So they may jump from one, skip two, go to three and get it out to try to get their worst ones out, right. you know, first. So, and you may be doing it to where you're changing first level out two, two outages in a row. But that's kind of what we do is we just go in, we pull them boxes out, put the new catalyst boxes in, and and then it's ready to be fired up. Now, as far as, as going out the exhaust side of stuff, so you're leaving the boiler, you're going to the SCR, and then you then you go into the stack, which is yes. the smokestack scene. And you guys, if there's any maintenance to be done on the stack as far as the steel work, great. Yeah. You, that's all your we guys, got. Yeah, you we got to do all, all that. Because you've sent some pretty cool pictures over the years, you oh, know, up, up 150 on, feet up yeah, on the smokestacks. 350, 400 feet. Yeah, yeah, working on these things. So the um, once the steam leaves the boiler, how much do you guys have to do with the rest of that system? Um, once it leaves, you know, mainly we got, you know, the boilers are our bread and butter. But once it leaves, uh, pipe fitters got it from there. You know, basically it's through piping. We, we've got it for the first weld outside, which is usually about six foot outside the boiler. And then, and then, and then it basically it, does a trade switch. It goes switch. to a different, yeah, it's a trade switch. And that's what Matt does, right? Yeah, He's yeah. A pipe fitter. Matt's, a, Matt's a pipe fitter. Uh, yeah, he does all that. And, and when they're, they're behind or they can't get help, uh, Matt's really good with working with us. He'll have us come out and, you know, we'll help them do like their jobs. Mm -hmm. Like a good example is, is they got what they call these IKs, which are soot blowers. And what it is, is it's, it's, a, it's a shaft that enters in the boiler, and it's like a clean system for it. Not like I was talking about them clinkers that grow mm -hmm. on these tubes. Yeah. But soot blower goes in, it shoots usually steam out of it, air or steam. And what it does, is it goes through, and it just goes like this, and it'll have little holes in it, in that pipe. And it mm -hmm. shoots that air, and what it does, high pressure air, it goes through and it cleans them off, comes so back. So it's like a self-cleaning oven. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it is like a self-cleaning oven. But like he was, he was short-handed, needed help. So then we went and helped him hook mm -hmm. the IKs back up, the sip blowers hooked them back up, and both flanges up. So basically, I guess the pipe fitters get it to the turbine, and then from there yeah. it's the mill rides? Then it goes to mill rides, yeah. And different companies, different plants, some plants have their own people that work on them. Other plants, it's just the... Now, you know, everybody always talks about the boilers and how dangerous they are, this, that, and the other. But that turbine is probably the most dangerous piece of equipment yeah. in that fire plant. Yeah. And you've got a few stories of how dangerous that can actually yeah. be. Yeah, they've had, it wasn't in Indiana, but they had a plant. So, first off, explain maybe a little bit of what the turbine is and what it does. So, basically, it's just a big boat propeller in a yeah. tube. Yeah, it's... it's mm -hmm. A huge, basically, impeller. So, and would you say the average plant six to eight feet diameter? Uh, no, about twelve. 
uh, on average, like a 450, I'd say it's probably that propeller in there is probably close to 12 foot. And, and 12 foot. we can only assume how much it weighs. I mean, it's a yeah, substantial it's piece of big. iron. Yeah. Now they're iron? Oh, yeah. Really? Yep. They're, they're hardened steel. I would have thought they'd be titanium. Yeah. Now, they probably do make titanium, but the older plants, uh, I, right. they were all hardened steel, uh, hard surfaced. Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, they had a they had an accident one where it wasn't well balanced, and you know it's. What, do you know? I have any idea what the RPM would be on this? I mean, it's. Oh, we were we were talking, and I was asking somebody how what they, what were they saying in general? I mean, we, we were having yeah, you were texting somebody. I was thinking it was like twelve hundred. Yeah, something. it was like twelve hundred, but then they can they could. It's Rent a broad it reach. Could, yeah, it's just like a it's just like a truck. You can run yeah. it pretty well as hard as you want, but it's got its limits. It's got oh, a yeah. headline on it. I'd say, you know, maybe pushing 5,000, 6,000 is about where they would want to So, I mean, think about that. you got a 12-foot chunk of steel that probably weighs 50, 60 ton, just guessing minimum. Yeah. You know, I want to know what the tip speed is on the wing. Uh, <laughs> you know, think, you know, the – so, yeah, you got a you got a pretty pretty serious little operation going on inside that, too. Yeah. And, and they have one – I, I don't remember where it was. I kind of do, but uh, it's – not I want to say where it's at, but uh, anyways, it wasn't balanced right. And I guess it shimmied loose, and it actually shot out, blew the whole, basically the housing, the metal housing that's around it. I mean, it just blew it apart and straight out, and I forget how far they actually Yeah, it went right outside the building. Yeah, it went and shot straight through the wall and out and down, and it went for a good way. It was just on a road trip, man. It just yeah, it was. It was going to head off down yeah. to the road trip. Did a little, did a little off roading. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's job security. Yeah. <laughs> but again, but, that was that's the mill rights. Yeah. Deal. Yeah. We don't we don't ever get a mess with them. We may help them if they're shorthanded. You know, they'll call us out, kind of what we call them permit, and mm -hmm. we'll go help them. But yeah, you get in the thousands, the hundred thousands, and you know, uh, a bull maker quarter inch. That's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, whole, whole new measurement terminology. The, yeah, right? yeah, them them really big little numbers. Uh, <laughs> we just don't get into them. <laughs> so uh, I don't think one thing a lot of people may not realize is whenever you go past the power plant, there's always a, a stack that's got this white smoke yes, coming out. Yes, everybody thinks it's smoke, and it's not smoke. That it no, that is not smoke. That is just the steam. Excess that's what steam. they call the cooling tower. cooling towers. So yes. after the. Water has been heated, turned into steam. It's passed through the turbine. Yeah, basically, it's all like they, a relief, like a pressure cooker. Basically, all they do is pump the water to the top of this thing, and let it free fall down yep. through it. They they're, uh, they have air at the bottom of it that goes up through it. Especially if you're putting this water back into a body of water that has life uh, or, uh, animals in it, fish. Yeah, you got to make yep. sure it's cooled down to make sure it because the hot water don't have any oxygen in it. It's it's the the cooling towers, and that's one thing everybody always sees them cooling towers and thinks, "Oh my, look at all them emissions going out." Look and at that, the pollution, and it's just water, and it's all yeah. it is is water and steam. It's, it's all it is. So yeah, yeah, and and a lot it of really is a cloud factor. Yeah. I mean, because mm -hmm. uh, what you don't see is the pollution, yeah. and that's usually out of your smoke stack, not right. a cooling tower, which, which is the one that if you look at it, don't look like there's yeah, anything don't look like anything's coming is. out. But it, yeah, so yeah, the cooling towers make that clear it's you know usually the cooling towers are some sort of stack mm -hmm. and people think that it's the pollution all that is is steam that's really steam 
the water in a cooling tower, it's got like shelves that run down through it. It's kind of like a waterfall in there, I guess yeah. you could say. And the water just gets pumped up and then it goes down through. And so all you're seeing is, is steam in that. Right. I did some quick math for your uh, impeller. Turbine? Yeah. So if it's 12 feet in diameter and it's spinning at 1200 RPM, at the tip of the impeller, you're going 513 miles an hour. I'll trust so, math. Yeah, we, we, I'm trusting Google Maps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's why it did clear through that building and oh, yeah. take off down the yeah. road or off-road. So that's kind of the, I mean, all boilers still kind of operate the same, but that's basically what we talked about was a cold fire plant. Yeah. Now, you, uh, like in our area, I know we have one plant that runs off wood chips. Yep. We have, yep. A, we have some that yep. run off natural gas. Yep. Um, you've worked on some nuclear plants. Yep. Uh, what, yeah, so what's the differences between the wood chip, the nuclear, the coal, the natural gas? Yeah, they got, I mean, they got a line of them. Uh, well, of course, we got coal fire around here, so I'm, I'm all for the coal fire plant. You got coal to gas, which what they do, instead of burning the actual coal, I don't know how they do it, but they get the gas off the coal, out of the coal, and burn. Which, which is supposed to eliminate a lot of the emissions. Yes. And then I guess once they get done, they just basically pump the coal back in the ground. But it, it's another emissions control. Uh, we don't work on much once they get built. Uh, you know, we're on a scheduled outage. We get lucky if we go in there for once every other year. Because I mean, the, uh, the the burn is so much cleaner. There's not that dust in there flying yeah, around. As far as, like, the panels inside them boilers, they, they don't get the wear and tear mm -hmm. that a coal fire does. So, yeah, it's like a... A coal fire is kind of like job security for us, but a coal fire produces 10 times more megawatts than, than any of these other ones besides a nuke. Mm -hmm. A nuke is the only one that's cleaner, but if a reactor ever overheated, then you have right. like what happened in Japan. You have a big, uh-oh. You have a problem. So, yeah, you have problems. So I can see why people wouldn't want to go to nuke, even though nuke is probably the cleanest source of power you can have. Mm -hmm. And those uh, boilers, once they're pretty much built, they're, yeah. they just run. Yep. Yep, which, uh, you know, like Texas had, they had uh, one down in Texas is, is where I'm I went sure there's one out in Pennsylvania, too. There might be. I do believe and, there is. I can't remember exactly where it's We going. Googled it one time. I want to say there was like 12 yeah. of them in the United States. Yeah. Still yeah. yeah. And they still talk about building new ones, but I don't know if they ever will. But yeah, your, your nuke is probably the cleanest and... As far as megawatts per unit, it's it's going to put out as much as coal. But coal, a lot of people don't realize how much power, how efficient with power oh, yeah, coal it's, uh, is. The, it's, the heat, the BTU on a unit of coal, yeah, <clears throat> well, far supersedes a lot of the other. Yes, and it takes less of it to do the same thing. Exactly. You know, um, this may not apply to a lot of people. But we always talk. We live on the river, yeah, and a lot of coal goes up and down the river. Oh yeah, and yeah. a lot of these power plants. Are located on the river because it's a water source yep. for their boilers and they can get, and their, they can get, get the, coal. the coal in and uh you know it's a pretty regular occurrence we'll see coal barges pass each other one going up river yeah. one going down river and not all coal is created equal nope um a lot of the reasons why they pass each other is because of the sulfur content yep. high sulfur low sulfur which low sulfur. high sulfur burns much hotter but it's yep. also a lot dirtier of a burn yes so a lot of the coal that comes from out west is low sulfur. Low. A lot of the coal yeah. from the east is high sulfur, and they'll basically blend them together yep. to get that happy medium from um, yeah. from one to the other. Because we got a lot of high sulfur coal around here. Now, in order to burn it, you have to have what we talked about the SCRs, 
you also have to have bag houses. Uh, a precipitator was another, it, it basically like was metal curtains hanging and what it would do is it would catch all the particles just like the metal SCRs, it would catch mm-hmm. all the particles before it go out. Which before that's all these power plants had was a precipitator and then that was it. Then it was straight out the stack, air heater, precipitator, then out the stack. But now you got your bag houses which are basically like a cloth sock that goes over a sleeve, a metal cage, and you put it in and it helps trap. Yes. So you got your bag houses, then you got an SCR, which are the SCR we talk about, but you got the scrubbers, which is an absorber. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what it is, big tank, and in that tank, it's like a slurry. So everything gets fed through this slurry, and that slurry, which they use it for drywall, it's gypsum. Yeah, uh, it's basically uh, ground yeah. limestone. Yeah. And what it does, it kind of catches everything, and then it comes up through the water, and then it goes out, goes into what we call the the outlet duct into the breaching duct into your your stack. So, hmm. yeah, it's there's there's a lot. They they have done a whole lot to keep these you know coal fire plants to go because in a, in a big picture, if you can clean it up and and which you're never going to make it perfect, but if you can clean a lot of the pollutants up out of it, it really does keep a lot of people working. Well, and not only that, it keeps our energy bills down. Yeah, it keeps the energy bills down. Uh, but you got a lot of jobs that rely off just coal alone. It's, it's you know, uh, to me it helps keep the economy going. But, uh, yeah, so you got, you got your coal fire, you got your nuke, you got your coal to gas, which burns the gas off the coal. You got ethanol plants, you know, they run, they're, they're doing these ethanol boilers, mm-hmm. like your corn burners. Really? Yeah, they're basically burning, you know, using the mesh, just like, I guess, a distillery. Well, isn't that what the millennial farmer feeds? They make actual uh, fuel, like vehicle fuel, though. Yeah. Oh, I thought he was. Well, same, same, oh, thing. same, same process. Yes, yeah, so just uses, using it for something different. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so you got them. Your natural gas. You got your natural gas, but uh, a lot of things with natural gas is is uh, you get these companies that that natural gas the price fluctuates so much, and you take a company your your local company, like we got Southern Indiana Power, if they were running off gas and all of a sudden these natural gas prices high. Yeah, they can't adjust they, their rates fast enough to overcome it. Yes. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but what a lot of uh, like Hoosier Energy around here, they'll have multiple coal-fired power plants and they'll pretty much run flat line consistent. Mm-hmm. And if they get a spike or a, or a jump in demand mm-hmm. for electricity, they'll, they'll bring one or two natural gas generators online to exactly. cut that spike. And then as soon as the spike yep. or the demand's gone, they'll cut them off and just go back to running off the coal fire yeah. plants. Kind of like a engineered redundancy. Yeah. yeah. They, they got like the little peaking units, uh, Hershey units that are, are gas powered. And basically all they are is they're just to do what he's saying right there. So they got a spike or say they have two, three units go down. Mm-hmm. Emergency. You know, yeah. what we call an emergency outage that we have to try to get fixed. Well, when they ain't got that power, before they go to a, another... Uh, say Indianapolis Power and Light, yeah, or they go to another out of, out of contractor, house. they can fire them peaking units up mm-hmm. and keep their power going. And then once they get the boilers back up and going, then they can slowly bring them back down to where they basically like a emergency right. unit. So I'd say one of the more unique setups around here would be uh, the paper mill across the river. Yeah, and they produce a lot of their own power using some of the waste byproduct yeah. of the coal chips. Um, the, the byproduct of the paper chips, which is the byproduct of the paper making yeah. process. And you've worked over there on that boiler a few times. Yeah, yeah, I, I was over there. Uh, 
I will give them credit. You know, the smell ain't the greatest. It gets pretty bad, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, them sour and chips. But that is probably one of the cleanest boilers I've actually worked in. Really? Yeah, it is, it is spotless. Now, they have a... I mean, why is that? Because the wood chips burn so clean? I couldn't, I have no clue, but it was, it was real clean. It was real clean. Now they have, they have a, they have several different boilers over there that they got what they call a licorice boiler, liquor boiler, licorice boiler. Is it black or red? It's pretty black. <laughs> it's pretty nasty. Now that is, that is pretty nasty, but uh, I don't know much about them. I, I've never worked on uh, what they call liquor, licorice boiler, liquor boiler, but like the wood chip ones that they burn their, you know, wood chips in. Mm-hmm. Um, you go, you go over like there, I, and I don't know much about these either. But they got like their good chips that they use, and then they got their, I guess their reject chips. I'm sure they're different, just like chips. Yeah. yeah, well, just like wood. I'm sure there's different grades of yeah. chips. Yeah, and and pretty well they take like what they don't use to make paper or cardboard boxes or whatever they're making. They use that to burn in there, and and it is. I guess maybe it's just being that it's wood, but it keeps it so clean in there. We go over there, but yeah, they use they got they got a couple like at the paper mill. They got a couple different boilers, and they they're self sufficient, mm -hmm. and they they just keep rotating them around, running them. And uh, I think that's also one thing worth mentioning. Like we got we got a couple aluminum smelters here. We got yep. a couple foundries here, and a lot of these, these things use they use like electric furnaces to smelt yeah. their aluminum or their steel. And they use so much electricity that nobody can provide it to them. A lot of them have to build on-site generating systems to do that. Really? I yeah. think the only one that I know of that's not like that is Wapaka. And they're only allowed to smelt certain hours of the day whenever basically the demand on the line yeah. is, is less from everything else going on. But uh, like Century and Alcoa yep. and all those guys, uh, Willamette, which is the paper mill, they have their own powerhouses on-site. They produce their own yeah. power. Which is one reason why a lot of that's located here again is because the access to coal in the water, right? Yep. Uh, which is which is the river, which gives these guys, you know, a trade and a, and a job. Mm -hmm. Main thing that job. Um, do you think that it's still viable for somebody interested in uh, potentially having a career to get into boiler making? That's a good I, question. Uh, that is a very very good question. <clears throat> As I, I, I've been in, I've been in 18 years. Mm -hmm. So I've been eight, in 18 years, going on 19 years. And uh, what I've seen just in our area, uh, the shutdowns of coal fire. And we, we lose a lot of work. We lose the coal fire. We're, we're losing a lot of work because that's like we were talking, bread and butter for us. Right. Uh, uh, around this area, southern Indiana Power, uh, we, we've lost two, uh, two boiled, two coal fire burners mm -hmm. and they're talking about and you got several more scheduled yes yeah by 2028 i think there's only going to be two powerhouses out of say 12 that are still going to be running by 2028 mm -hmm. so that's the only scary part um which they're at the same it's time it's probably worth mentioning that uh you know the answer to this we have the largest or one of the largest coal fired power plants in the country yes is about 15 yep. 20 minutes from now. yep mm -hmm. it's yes yeah. it is it's a it's a big one uh it's it's the one you can put a football field in right but right yeah and, and a neat note that like they told us that you know they're like well would you, if you coal fire stayed going would you ever build any more of this size and, and they said they would not 
it's not feasible when you have emergency outage, you're losing all that power off of that one unit. Yeah, they but basically, instead of having two massive units, they, they basically said they'd be better off having five small yeah, units. Yeah, five right. small ones. Which so you makes sense when you think about it. Bring them offline a yeah. lot easier. Yeah. Yep. But it is neat actually going to get to work there. That's, a, that's another real nice, I like working there. It's a nice place too. Right. But, uh, yeah, uh, kind of back on to the subject of the yeah, power we, sources. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to get to this, but like, uh, well, I'm not a fan of windmills or solar mills or solar farms. Which uh, ironic is 15 <laughs> minutes from his house yeah. is the largest solar farm in Indiana. And well, the reason I say that is because I have no work on them. We, we do no work on them. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I like the Clean Act, even though there there is you're not putting out the the megawatts at all. Right. Well, you I know, just when I was looking at the nuclear plants in Pennsylvania, I just read that they shut down. A nuclear plant after 45 years because there's not a big enough push for clean energy really yeah that's what the three mile plant in uh in pennsylvania was shut down in 2019 so they're taking all my good hunting ground away apparently clean act. oh man well no because there's not <laughs> enough interest in the clean act yeah so they shut down the nuclear power yeah because that would uh nuclear plant is, is it's clean just clear like, like you said yeah what i what I don't know the facts on this, but they said a nuclear is cleaner than a solar farm as far as the I batteries. Would, I could believe that per you know, watt created. Yes, yeah, for sure. Um, because like yeah. uh, the solar panels, power. you got batteries. I mean, they were you know just huge battery packs. Yeah. And, but any of them explode, I mean. Well, it's it not even out. explode. They have a shelf life. Oh, well, it's yeah, the same thing that's going got, to plague the you country. Get rid of it. Well, yeah, but yeah. eventually, at some point, once it once it runs its course, you're going to have to dispose of it. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing with these electric cars that they're pushing now. It's not a problem now. It looks great now, but in 15 years, 20 yeah. years, when these lithium batteries are yeah, junk, there's junkyards full of them. Yeah. What are you well, What are you going to do with it? It's hazardous waste. Yeah. Where are you going to put it? What are you going to you know? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a little bit of everything here. We, yeah, we got windmills. We got windmills. We got solar. We got hydro. Yep. Uh, the counting hydro is yeah. Uh, and and one, I, I don't know the exact numbers on this. Somebody can Google it. But they spent, I mean, way up in the millions of dollars building this hydro plant over there. And what's it? It's it's pretty small, like five or ten megawatts. Yeah. I mean, like nothing C- compared yeah. to like a fifty or sixty megawatt coal coal plant. Right. Four hundred and fifty. 450 i mean so the amount of, the amount of power generated <clears throat> per dollar spent on a coal plant is incredible you know what i mean the, well, the, and the other thing too is raw material going into that <clears throat> yeah i mean it's is it is it viable is it a good option it was a yeah the, uh, at some point it's just a pr stunt <laughs> it really is yeah i mean i know that those are decisions that are made by people who are supposedly much smarter than us and yeah to their credit usually they are but it's a question I would have. It's, no, it's a very, very, very legitimate question. So, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know if you fully answered the question of would you encourage somebody to become a bull mm-hmm. today? Yeah, we've had we've had several conversations about this, and your let's push this off one more time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but your thought of it is is you do see the trade disappearing, and you think you'll be absorbed by another trade, basically. Yes. Uh, what I see in the future, if, if we lose all these coal fire plants, um, they don't have no work. Say, mm-hmm. say nothing else gets built that we can actually go do. Right. I, I, I could see us getting absorbed in with like a 
pipe, pipe fitters, fitters would be the closest trade to what we do. I can right. see pipe fitters absorbing us in. And basically that gets into the politics and the money part of it yeah. if they can afford to, because it's just like we, we, got a, we got a pension and annuity as our retirement package. We don't have a 401k. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like there, I see the ups and downs to both sides, but basically they're all tied up in the same thing, stock market. Right. Your pension, your 401k, no matter what you got as far as retirement goes, it's all tied into stock markets. But it would be, I know it's a lot harder than this, but one of the main things is, is they have to buy our whole package if they would buy us out. Right. Uh, next trade would either be like iron workers slash millwrights yeah. would be something compatible to what we and do. And I, I think to be clear, we're not discouraging somebody oh, no, who knows that dis- they want to this is what they want to do they've yeah. done this for five years i'm oh, talking no, about I mean, that Aaron's, guy. Yeah. Aaron's a testament that he's made a damn good living though. oh yeah. yes yes it's it's been great yeah i mean the hours i've worked and, and and i love it i just myself i would feel bad pushing somebody into something that's dying right i'm they just talking about the guy who's not sure what he wants to do yeah which i guess you could say do you think it would be worth his time or her time to look into this field? If if I was unsure what I wanted to do and I was I knew for a fact I was wanting to try new things mm-hmm. and see if it works, if it didn't work, it was no big deal, yeah. I would definitely go for it. Because another uh, question is majority of the work you do or you've done is, is welding. Yes. Right? Yeah, how welding. Many, you told me at one point, how many arc hours do you have under the helmet? Oh, boy. I'd hate to guess. I'm starting to lose my eyesight now, so I ain't been putting as many on. Right. I, I think I put more on this in this shop than at work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you had he said before it was, yeah. it was like 45,000 or something. Oh, right? yeah. Arc hours. That's, yeah. that's a lot of experience. So yeah, from, from pretty well the second period, when I was second period apprentice, which was my first year, mm-hmm. uh, welders were a huge right. item. That, I mean, that's what we needed. Right. We needed welders. And we couldn't find them. So, you know, I took uh, what we got as common arc, which you'll have all your contractors. You may have 20 contractors, may have 40 contractors. Mm-hmm. They all come that one day and, and you take a well test. Right. And then they all can go in, they can buy off on it, check it off. You know, they check from fit so up to root. Yeah. And, and they check everything out. And as long as they like it, they check you off. And then they bend it. They do a bend test. They cut, yeah. cut strips out of it. They band it, make sure it don't break, and mm-hmm. if it don't break, it's good. If they don't find a void in it, you're good. Well, I think why I, the reason I say that is because you, you've made a good career with a good yes. living, getting a lot of yep. experience in an area of expertise that I don't care what clean energy push they do, you're never going to get rid of welding. Yeah. I mean, you can try you can. to rope, uh, make robots do it as much as you want, but you'll never fully get rid no. of a talented welder. As a, yeah. No, so, you won't. just as looking at it as a potential stepping stone, even it, it's, it is. Know. It would be a great. I mean, it's somewhere. To, even if you, it would die out. Okay, yeah. and you get it absorbed in. If you got in now and something like I said would happen, thinking the worst, mm-hmm. and you would have to go to another trade. I mean, well, you're in. You're going to go to that trade. Yeah. I mean, there ain't nothing. It's not like you're going to not have a job. Right. You know, you're going to have somewhere to go, and you know, I, I got like. These, these young guys I've been taking in well mm-hmm. now that I'm getting older I like working with these young guys they can be the strong back does right. that make you feel old yeah it is it is starting <laughs> to make me feel old uh, but yeah I get with them and I tell them it's a it's a great career right and you know but I tell everybody keep your options open I well mean, I know uh, two people one person I still talk to they they are 
uh, titanium welders for the aerospace industry, and I mean, they're paid $95 an hour, and they set their own schedule. They do yeah. whatever the heck they want because they're good. Yeah. Talent, talent, it don't matter what trade you're in, talented tradesmen are getting harder and harder to come by, whether yeah. it be an operator, laborer, carpenter, welder. Right. Yeah. And yeah. It, it comes back to the point that we've made before is that no matter what you do with technology, you can make a robot do this job. I don't care. But you can't make the robot think the way that the guy who's been doing it for 40 years will. And especially if you have experience. Yeah, if you got a guy programming the robot who's never done this before. Yeah. You know. Here's the thing. We get on the subject of the robots. They mm-hmm. have them and they try them. Orbital welders. Yeah. A lot of the welds we do are in tight spaces they can't get the robots. Exactly. And they, I mean, they try and try to find a robot that can yeah. work, but it's so tight that we can't even get back there to do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do it, but it's like what I'm trying to say is it's so tight to where yeah. it takes a guy on one side and one guy on this side, and you got to help each other to oh, yeah. get that this tight weld. A friend of mine, he's not allowed to you know, share anything really of what he does in his field, but he sent me a few pictures of his equipment. Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about a TIG torch that's four feet long. Yeah. You know, and it's got a pencil tip on the end of it, and he's using that with a camera. Yeah. But you can't get a robot in there. Yeah. So... And a robot, a lot of times you'll have trap slag, you'll have porosity. Yeah. It just can't pick it up like an individual. Well, it can't adjust on the fly like you can with your eyes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, because if if we're having a problem, you know, you can can back up and get it. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of times you deal with this older metal, and a lot of times you'll get welding it, and it'll want to fall out on you. It just wants to disappear on you. Well, you know, you can adjust that. That computer, it just keeps going. And right. I don't realize, you know, you got to have somebody there running it. You got to. Yeah, have I mean, it's it. completely different than welding an excavator boom in a factory. Right? Yeah, production. Line it's much more controlled. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is not uh, nothing like that at all. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they they have brought. I mean, we call them orbital weld. They're computer robot yeah. welders, but they have brought them out, and they are trying. It's just they're not having the best of luck with it. Yeah. Out in the great wide open on a pipe that's out here. You know nothing around it they can set that big computer up on it and yeah. they can do it there but tight spots it's some of those things always crack me up and like well a robot can weld it faster not necessarily if you consider the, the setup time yeah, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. the actual weld time weld maybe time, less yeah but how long it take you to get that thing to actually strike an arc you know? yeah the three the three percent of the job yeah they, they can do faster but the rest of it forget it yeah you know and that, that kind of plays in whenever people say, well, you should have brought an excavator to the job. It would have been faster. Yeah, it would have been faster for that five-minute project. It would have took me three hours to get it here to yeah, do exactly. that little project. Yeah. You know, right. in, the, in the big scheme of that, it's probably why you're not in business, sir. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you <know>? Exactly. <laughs> big picture. you got to see the big picture. Yeah. So. But uh, so, yeah, you're. I guess we're getting ready to wrap this thing up, aren't we? We're about an hour and five minutes in. Yeah, the... Um, I, it's a hard trade to kind of explain. Yes. I mean, I picked your brain about this a lot of a lot of times, a lot of things. One thing I'd want to kind of end on here a little bit is with the trades. And I always tell this story, you know, whenever I was a junior in high school, I'm, I'm a huge, if you guys don't know, I'm a huge, huge, huge advocate for the trades. Mm-hmm. Skilled tradesmen mm-hmm. um, is something that's went away in this country. I don't know why. I'm very passionate about the trades. I don't it's care coming if it's a, back. I don't care if it's a bull maker, I don't care if it's a laborer, I don't care if it's a carpenter, I don't care if it's a pipe fitter, I don't care what it is. A trade's a trade. Mm-hmm. Bull makers are the best. I'm to an doing, extent. I'm going to ignore that. <laughs> uh, so anyways, whenever I was in high school, which was uh, junior high school, so it would have been 22 years ago, uh, and that's whenever computer and technology was really taking off, really becoming a big thing. 
And if at that point in life, at that point in the world, if you were wanting to go into the trades, you were looked down on. Mm-hmm. Like, well, why would you want to go do a dirty job? Mm-hmm. Why would you want to have to get your, you know, your hands callous? Why would you oh, have yeah. to get your boots muddy? And I, I didn't get it then, and I don't get it now. And I had a principal, and um, he said in our junior class meeting, if you're not striving to go to a four-year college involved in a school sport or after-school activity, you're nothing but a waste of space in this school. I would like to point out something that my wife is a a level four neonatal ICU nurse with an immense amount of schooling, and I believe that she should have that school. Oh, yes, I agree with that 100%. But what I'm trying to say um, is it's not for everybody. Well, I went to a, a technical high school, and then we talked about this. I went to UTI, and I make more than her. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not bragging or anything, and I'm not saying I'm yeah. smarter than her by any stretch. But, but I want my doctor and my nurse to go to a four-year college. Absolutely. So, But it's not the only option. Yeah, so where, exactly. I'm, where I'm going with this is – this principal said that, mm-hmm. you know, like you, everybody should be going to a four-year school, basically. And uh, boy, it pissed me off. Yep. I just got my ass up and walked out. I said, the hell with you, you son of a bitch. Because I knew what I wanted to do. I knew who I was, and that wasn't it, and I was perfectly fine with that. Mm-hmm. So in the course of the, the next two years I was in school, uh, this continued to be a hot-button topic. And if you guys know me well, whenever I'm passionate about something, I don't <laughs> back down. And I don't give yeah. a crap who you are. I don't care if you are the principal. I'm going to tell you what I think, and mm-hmm. I'm going to be persistent enough. You're going to listen to my ass. And uh, I finally told him one day. I said, listen. I said, I don't care how fancy or how elaborate the world works. You're always going to need somebody to build you a car. You're always going to need somebody to fix your car. You're always going to need somebody to build your house. You're always going to need somebody to unclog your toilet. Mm-hmm. I said, and you're going to need somebody to pick your trash up. If there's somebody in this school... That wants to grow up and strives to be a trash man, you should support his ass. Because mm-hmm. if, if he goes to work every day and he's happy and he does a good job out, he's proud of what he did, who gives a crap what the damn title is? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. And um, so, with all that being said, and, and times are changing, you know, the trades are becoming more of a uh, acceptable thing again, I guess. Because they're realizing that you can't run the world from an office. But the. One of the last things I told that guy before I left, I said, if the world keeps going the way it is, and if I become a skilled tradesman, in 20 years I can name my price because I ain't going to have no competition. Nobody's going to want my job. Mm-hmm. And here we are 20 years later. And you know how in high demand a skilled tradesman is? And you're naming your price yeah. and you're booking out till next year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't price gouge. I don't do any of that stuff. Right. But oh, I was pe- thinking I was going to get a raise. No. Yeah. <laughs> but people are willing to pay a premium for my service because mm-hmm. it's a skilled trade. Yeah. And the same thing with what you were talking about as far as people out of the halls. The good guys are few and far between. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the point of that conversation is if you have interest in the trades, don't let it, yeah. I mean, if that's what you're passionate about, follow your passion. Yeah. Um, it's because um, we need the tradesmen just as much as we need the computer programmers, the doctors, and nurses, and lawyers, and, and mm-hmm. everything else. So. My rant's over. We can end now. Yep. Oh, now we can end. <laughs> Would you like to rant? This is your episode. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll tell you what. I'm, I've actually been in a great mood today. Yeah? I mean, because you got to see me for the first time in about two months. Even though I had a lot, like I said, I had to lock that GPS in and try to locate the... It's been so long since I've been out here. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, I agree. I agree 100% with the trades. Uh, I mean, it's... I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked every aspect I could think of from laborers to pipe fitters to operators to, you know, I've worked in all of them. I love them all. Mm-hmm. But uh, would I trade it to go to an office job? No. No. I. Everybody's got their 
their own thing they're going to do. Yeah, those other towns. Yes, I mean, there are people that don't want to get dirty, you know, that don't want to do this and or do that. There's nothing wrong. There's with nothing that. wrong with that. I don't like getting dirty. That's not a lie. <laughs> we'll get you used to that. <laughs> no, I, I, I can. I do my job well, and I stay clean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just, you know, that's one thing I I enjoy. I enjoy being out here doing it, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Back to that, yeah, I mean, I would send people that way. And, I mean, it's a start. It's something to look at. Makers, they can look at it and, and, you know, do it for five, six years, see what you think. If you don't mm-hmm. like it, I mean, there's other trades to go to. There's other yeah. options. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I would send them that way. If, if we need manpower, I'd definitely send them that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that the apprentice, the apprenticeships are, they're taking boilermakers like crazy right now. Right. So, yeah, it would be something that. That'd be something to look into if you like that line of work, welding, rigging, mm-hmm. high rigging, being around equipment, you know, stuff like that. So, right. Yeah. Well, Aaron, uh, thanks for coming in. Thanks for hanging yep. out with us. Thanks for sharing what uh, what your real job really is. Yeah, we yeah. Of, <laughs> we get a lot of questions of that on the channel. Yeah. You come and go and disappear and, mm-hmm. and emergency outages and schedule outages and different things. So, but yeah. uh, like that's a wrap, guys. As always, we'll probably catch you on the next one. Yeah, it's been uh, episode ten. Few points from perfect. Leave a comment with suggestions, questions, concerns. Send us an email. Did you say ten? Yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. I'll give that a ten then. Yeah. You can give us a 10. <laughs> As always, our email, a few points from perfect at yahoo.com. And uh, thanks for listening in. Thanks a lot. See you guys.